Hey, Andy Phillips here. And I'm Tom Hackett. You may remember us from that time when we used to try really hard to make plays on fourth down. Well, we're back at it with a brand new show called Special Forces Gang, where we give you new perspective on what it takes to be a football player. We talk all things Utah football, sports, and life. Don't miss Special Forces Gang. Subscribe for free on Apple Podcasts, Google Play, or on kslsports.com. Go Utes! Hi, this is Scott Trout, CEO of the domestic litigation firm Cordell & Cordell. There are many life changes that can happen after divorce that make it difficult or impossible to uphold requirements of your divorce decree. The orders issued in a divorce are based on the facts presented at that time, but the circumstances used in issuing those orders can obviously change. If you feel a modification to your court orders might be necessary, talk to us at Cordell & Cordell. Contact CordellCordell.com, 1065 East Hillsdale Boulevard, Suite 310, Foster City, California, 94404. Welcome to Innovation and Leadership. This is Jess Larson. Today on the show, we've got part two with Bob Delton. Yeah, that's awesome. Yeah, I, I just am, I'm kind of going through that for the first time because, you know, we're still a startup and uh, I got 10 people on my team and um, I'm like the creative side. And um, I was doing a lot. I was overseeing all of the creative and aesthetic direction of our company for a really long time. CEO, founder of Sackcloth and Ashes um, Blanket Company. If you missed part one, uh, please go back and listen to that. He's, he's doing the one-for-one one model where he, when you buy one of his blankets, um, they donate one to a, a homeless shelter in your zip code. Um, but, Bob, when we were ending off part one, we were talking about persistence and and sticking with it even when it's not easy. And when you're trying to start the blanket company, you got 180 no's um, to, in order to get the 20 companies, the, the 20 shops to carry your blanket. Um when you when you think about this idea of like a lot of times you know persistence is uh, genius as persistence in disguise. Um, do you have any thoughts about uh, when when we do have somebody say something really unhelpful to us and uh, we start to doubt ourselves? Things that you used to help kind of like light the fire again and go after it anyways. Yeah, I think my situation may be a little bit unique in the sense that I didn't have any other options. Like if I didn't keep moving forward, it just wouldn't work. So there would be no sackcloth and ashes. It's not like I had like a fallback, <laughs> you know? Yeah. Uh, so my drive through it was I have to continue to move forward if I wanted to keep going. Like the first, um, I would say, hurdle I had was realizing that I can't sew. And I feel like most, you know, a lot of entrepreneurs would give up at that particular mark. It's like, oh, I have this idea and I'm pursuing it. And then, oh, I can't, I can't do the first thing, you know, that you realize you can't do. And so it's easy to give up on it and move to the next idea. And I think that persistence is the only way that an idea is going to continue to work is just not giving up. Um, and I think that my belief in the idea just outweighed um, all of kind of the discouragement that could have come from all of the no's that I was given. Yeah. You know, it's it's funny because everybody listening to this has heard that before, right? But it doesn't mean that it's not true, <laughs> you know. Uh, I guess my question is: when you think about having this idea and how long you sat around thinking about it, dreaming about it, but not taking action, and then when you actually did take action, um, any thoughts for folks who they have an idea, they know something innovative, they want to they want to work on for the organization, they really want to help their team push to a new level, but they've just been thinking about it. Um, any, any thoughts, any tips for how to get over the hump and, and start taking those first steps? Yeah, so uh, there was one winner that I would 
come home every day and I'd walk into my house and I'd, I'd ask my wife, I'm like, babe, super cold out. Uh, it's freezing out. Could you, would you mind making me some hot tea? And she would make me some tea. She'd bring it out to me and I'd have a sip of it and I'd set it on the coffee table and uh, I wouldn't drink any more of it. I'd just have a sip. Next day I'd come home. It's freezing cold. I'm like, hey, babe, would you mind making me some tea? She'd make me some tea and she'd bring it out. I'd have a sip of it. I'd sit it on the coffee table and I didn't do anything. I didn't drink, drink it. And so after like a week of doing this, uh, I come home and I'm like, hey, babe, would you mind making me some tea? And she like peeks her head around the corner. And she's like, I think you like the idea of tea, but I don't think you actually. <laughs> tea. Um, and so I, my only thing I could say on that is you got to do it. You got to drink the tea. Like, I mean, it's like it, there's no other. I think that a lot of ideas are romanticized. Um and there people like the idea of doing something but you got to do it yeah what if i'm a leader what if i'm a manager i'm a leader and you know our ceo or our managing director division leader has said that they want us to be more innovative they want us to to embrace you know digital transformation or whatever it is and i've got somebody on my team who's got some good ideas but maybe has been romanticizing them a bit and mm -hmm. I need to help this team member, you know, shrink the change, figure out what the smallest next step is and, and actually take that step. Any thoughts for when you don't want to ram it down somebody's throat, but you do want to help them get past dreaming about it stage? Maybe one yeah. of if they work for you, for instance. Helping them see the benefit and feeling the benefit of the outcome. Seeing and feeling the benefit of the outcome. So early stages when I was actually hustling and dreaming the thing this thing up it was i had one of my buddies he quit his job on the on the fly and i was like hey man i need help he just got promoted to a manager position and full benefits and i was like hey i think i need you to quit your job and come work for me at this blanket company <laughs> and uh he quit his job on the spot and him and i it was fun because we were just dreaming things into existence uh we were I remember walking, I was speaking at this church and we were walking, carrying blankets and boxes up these stairs and we like stopped in the middle of the stairs and he looked at me and he was like, we're going to be unloading boxes of blankets out of semis soon. And he helped me see that. Um, and like maybe six months down the road, we were unloading boxes out of semis um, of just how big the vision had grown. And so it was like, I had the opportunity to have a teammate that continue to help me see and feel the feelings of the benefits of the outcome of the vision. Um, and so if you have team members and you have ideas coming down the pipeline, you can't just talk about the ideas. You have to talk about the outcome of what's going to happen and the feeling that's going to happen if that thing actually comes about. You know, um, I'm really interested that, the, you, that you use the word feel. I think, uh, I think that's something that's really underrated. I think, mm -hmm. um, you know, we had... 50 years of academics uh, in the biggest universities in the world trying to tell us how rational humans are. You know, and it's yeah. only been in the last couple decades that, you know, we've realized that the, the limbic system changes uh, emotions <laughs> and that emotions are the last part of the brain that fires up before a decision gets made. It's not actually the logical part. It's our mm -hmm. emotions about the logic, right? Mm -hmm. And, you know, I look at your social, you guys have got such great imagery and your videos, you know, it, it does give a certain, it does give a certain feeling. Mm -hmm. And, um, I think, uh, I think there's a real temptation, especially at work where nobody wants to be, nobody mm -hmm. wants to be labeled as like touchy feely and not action oriented or something like that. Right. And, yes. uh, it seems like there's an over-reliance on the logical reasons why, and the spreadsheet reasons why, 
and uh, maybe we don't always take the time to have people like connect with the feeling of what accomplishment would feel like and and describe it out and envision it and uh, under the like the fear that somebody will you know label us like the guy who holds hands and sings kumbaya or something any any yeah. reaction to that uh, yeah i think i think feeling is very attached to passion and i think you have to be passionate about what you're doing um and it's, I, I think that the the whole idea of rational, just like well, if we're only going to approach business in a very rational and thinking way, Robotic. that's a very Western, it's a very Western civilization thing to do. And in Eastern civilization, they wouldn't consider that you believed something until you actually have done it. Um, mm. And so there's a reality that like we can think all day long and we can say we believe that we our company needs to go in a specific direction. But that's a very Western civilization to do is just talk about it. And Eastern society would be like, hey, you don't believe something. You don't don't say you believe something until you've actually done it. Um, and so I think I think that's a, a maybe a little more philosophical, but I, I think it's we have to we can't just be rational thinking beings because you have to be a little bit crazy in order to innovate. You have to be a little bit crazy and think uh, and feel differently if you want to make a change in the world or a change in your organization. Um, there's a lot of things that didn't make sense about what I've done and how I've pursued things. Um, and, I, and I think that I, I continue to throw myself into um, having a balance of the rational and the irrational. I think we have to be a little irrational if we want to create change. Yeah, it's kind of that idea of the actions speak louder than words, right? Yeah. I mean, <clears throat> yeah, we can't just theorize on how we're going to change things. We have to actually do it. And most of the time, change is an irrational um, thing that the majority will probably disagree on. Yeah, you know, um, so I, I want to talk about this for a second, actually. So um, when it comes to this decision of, of, you know, pushing ahead or, or realizing that uh, our, our first idea may not be the best idea, right? Mm -hmm. So, mm -hmm. you know, you're out there hustling, getting 180 no's before you, you know, and then you get the 20 shops that say, yes, they'll carry your blanket. Or when you're, you know, when you're building the new marketing campaign or you're working on some new aspect of the business, I'm interested for you of how do you tell the difference? You know, when people are saying that's crazy, that's crazy. I don't think that's going to work. I'm interested in how you decide that whether they just don't get the vision or whether I've been having a blind spot about something. How do you, how do you walk that balance beam of like, no, I need to have faith that what I think is going to happen is going to happen. Or maybe I need to have some humility to think about what I'm not seeing here. How do you navigate that? A great question. Um, man, that's a tough one to answer because it's easy for me to just to say. Uh, I'm, it's funny because I think the answer is a lot to do with feeling. <laughs> yeah. um, I feel a certain way that we need to go, and I have a lot of wise counsel around me to at least inform me if they think it's not going to work or if they think I'm going the wrong direction. But I do. I am driven a lot by what I feel like we should do as a company. Um, and it's like a deep intuition of like, there's things that I'm like, I, I know I, we shouldn't go that direction. And even though it might make sense, and then there's things that may not make sense. And I'm like, I feel like we should go that direction. Um, 
No, I, I identify that with that. I like, uh -huh. I try to listen to as many people as I can. I try to gather as much data as I can. Yeah. And then I try to like, you know, like I'm a real audiobook nerd, right? So I'll go back to some of the audiobooks that I know I felt like I've imparted some wisdom on something similar. And then I'll like try and be quiet for a bit and figure out what I actually feel like between the, between the differing opinions. Yep. Sounds like yeah, that's, that, that's, that's a healthy way that I've been trying to approach a lot of major decision making in the company is like, gather is I, I already have an idea of what direction we should go. And then I meet with everybody and I'm getting feedback and I'm genuinely open to learning and being challenged. And I love being challenged. and I love people questioning me because it's almost like this philosophical approach of like, let's, like, I have an idea of where I think we need to go. Now let's set that aside and question everything. And then I can arrive back at that thought and go, I don't think we should pull the trigger. I think we should pull the trigger based on uh, a collective conversation and questioning and debate. And I, we have so many good debates happening on our team uh, all the time. I think that um, those debates have led to a lot of powerful decisions that we've made in the company for the good. So I'm going to ask the same question. If I'm a leader, I'm a manager, I've got, I've got the team members who I'm, I'm trying to get them to become more bold. I'm trying to get them to take more risks. You know, the bosses above me keep saying we need to take more risks. We need to try new things. That's, that's what you always hear in innovation programs. Right. Um, yep. and I've got, I've got maybe more junior folks on the team who they just keep coming to me over and over of like, yeah, but what do I do? Any thoughts on how to help them like develop that creative confidence and like, how to help them, uh, you know, consider the facts and, and just go with their gut. And, you know, obviously not such a big bet that you're going to ruin the business, but any thoughts about mm -hmm. helping folks, you know, helping the rest of the team become like that as well? Yeah, that's awesome. Yeah. I, I just, am, I'm kind of going through that for the first time. Cause we, you know, we're still a startup and, uh, I got 10 people on my team and, um, on like the creative side and, um, I was doing a lot. I was overseeing all of the creative and aesthetic direction of our company for a really long time. And uh, I had somebody that was on my team who's been with me for the last three years that I, I feel like, okay, I think you're going to be the creative director. You're the creative director. And as soon as I let go of a lot of the creative control, um, and, it, and I wasn't doing it blindly, like I've been working with the guy for three years. So I like had an idea of how he already works and thinks and creates and what direction he wants to go with the company but you know so i took took a lot of time kind of mentoring and also just being very close with this person but when i let go and he became the creative director of sackcloth and ashes when he would come to me with ideas recently with here's what i think the new website should look like here's what i think that how the email should be designed i'm like full creative control full creative control i'm not like you can come to me with a finished product and I'll give my final advice on it, but you have full creative control. And I relinquished all of that control over to him. And I think that people own what they help create. And so if you give your team an opportunity to create and you let go of control of certain areas and allow them to um, dream and create and have the more that they're going to create and they're the more they're going to have ownership. And, uh, and I think that's a really, really powerful thing for a team to, to start, uh, you know, if you have an entire team that's owning the vision, it's really powerful. So I think about that growth process and like, you know, every kid falls off a bike learning how to ride a bike. Right. Mm -hmm. Um, 
And I guess my thought is, as a leader, um, I think about different of our employees that I've been trying to grow into different positions, at, at, you know, whether it's the investment fund I used to run or, or our media business now, right? And <clears throat> I'm thinking, you know, I, I guess I'm asking, for somebody like me who wants it done right, but yet I know they'll never develop if they don't get the chance to do it at least a little bit wrong on their way to doing it right. Um, any thoughts on how to, like, how to learn how to bite my tongue, how to learn how to like set the light, left and right limits where we give, I give them enough control and I'm willing to like let them do it a little bit wrong so that they can learn from the experience rather than my like, <laughs> I don't know, my OCD-ness of like wanting it to be perfect the first time every time. Yeah, I think for me, it's also uh, like most things I, I haven't necessarily have had a huge choice in. It's like I had to relinquish control because the company's growing and I had to give my time and energy to other things. So I was kind of forced to trust my team on a deeper level because I just time wise, I couldn't do everything and I couldn't have my hands involved in everything. And so um, that was a big part of it. And the second part of it is um, I typically know, you know, what could have a drastic impact on the company and what's not going to have a drastic impact. If it's not going to have a drastic impact on the company, then I typically am like, yeah, let's try it. You know, um, I kind of know where the line's drawn when it comes to like testing things out. Yeah. Well, um, besides people going to sackcloth and ashes website and checking out the, uh, checking out the goods here, connecting mm -hmm. with you guys on social, um, I, I think maybe a good place to close, you know, obviously you guys get a lot of media attention because you're actually doing something that makes the world better. Um, what's a question that you feel like you don't get asked or that you don't get asked enough that you wish people were asking more when you're, when you're being interviewed by the media? What are solutions that are working? Mm, tell me about that. I think that the majority of uh, media and the majority of companies are problem focused and um, I think we need to make a major, major shift in the business world. And I think we need to make a major shift in the nonprofit world and we need to start focusing on solutions, um, things that are working. And um, if we're statistics based, we're not going to get that far. Most statistics are either inaccurate or they're just depressing. And, um, and we have to make a shift from statistics focused uh, to solutions focused. And um, yeah, like what's an I, example? Uh, so right now, I, as I'm studying and, and going to a lot of homeless shelters and trying to figure out how to go about this particular issue, it's such a complex issue, homelessness, you know, um, in uh, City Impact in San Francisco, they're located right in the Tenderloin. They provide education K through 12 uh, for uh, kids on the streets. And um, recently, there's about there's about 3000 homeless youth in the Tenderloin of San Francisco, which is absolutely ridiculous. Um, and what they're doing is they're one of the first organizations in the United States right now to create a sponsorship to where you can actually sponsor a kid for $38 a month and provide education for those kids, um, K through 12. Um, I think it's incredible. I think it's revolutionary. And I, I think that a lot of nonprofits right now are just asking for money. I think they figured out a really creative way to raise money and do it to in a really personal way that's helping a really, really major issue right now. Um, that's a solution. They created a solution to a major problem. And so I love highlighting those type of solutions. I, I'm dedicating the Sackcloth and Ashes platform um, to highlighting people and organizations that are actually making a difference in the world. I know I'm not going to change the issue of homelessness, 
But my goal is to highlight the people in the organizations that are. Well, I, I love hearing that. A, I love the personal aspect of like, you don't feel like you're just throwing money into the wind when you know what it goes to, right? Um, but I mean, for us, you know, our listeners know about the charity we started that combats child trafficking called Child Rescue and uh, youth homelessness. I mean, the foster care program and youth homelessness are so mm -hmm. intertwined with child trafficking, you know, trafficking of teenagers. Uh, they're almost like the same issue. They're, they're so entwined with each other. So I love hearing about anybody like that that's, that's tackling the issue in a meaningful way. Yeah, absolutely. Well, uh, thanks for making time for this. This is great. Yeah, absolutely, man. Thank you for having me. You bet. Talk to you later. Well, that's it for the episode. One other thing I wanted to tell you about, if you'll remember the guys from Convoy uh, in episodes back, Ken Free and Trent Mano, I went on one of their CEO trips to New York, and I met a guy named Brent Thompson, very successful entrepreneur. He was former CEO of Jive Communications, big uh, company now, I think three or $400 million. Anyways, he, uh, he started a new company called blipbillboards.com. I'm super stoked they're a sponsor now. But I, I remember a year and some ago when I met him, I thought it was genius. Instead of having to buy six months or a year's worth of billboard um, for thousands of dollars, you can buy eight seconds at a time for like 10 or 20 cents. You pick what billboard you want it on, what time of day you want it to run. And it just puts so much power in the hands of, of marketers and CEOs who want to try something and see if it works. You can buy as many or as few as you want, change it as many times as you want. Uh, I think now our podcast is being advertised on billboards in like 18 different states because we have these guys as sponsors. We're pretty excited about it. Hope you check out blipbillboards.com. Thanks. Hi, it's Jamie, Progressive's Employee of the Month, two months in a row. Leave a message at the... Hi, Jamie. It's me, Jamie. I just had a new idea for our song about the Name Your Price tool. So when it's like, tell us what you want to pay, hey, 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 and the trombone goes, blah, 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 and you say, we'll help you find coverage options to fit your budget. Then we just all do finger snaps while a choir goes, savings coming at ya, savings coming at ya. Yes? No? Maybe? Anyway, see your practice tonight. I got new lyrics for the rap break. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law.